0: When vaccines against COVID-19 were first made widely available, meaning those of us not on the priority lists, I tried furiously to get my first dose as quickly as possible. It took some time because at least then demand exceeded supply, but I was diligent and finally could get my COVID vaccine. Now, six, seven months later, vaccines for COVID-19 have been widely available in the United States. But wide availability doesn't mean wide acceptance. As of October 1, only 65% of the U.S. population have received at least one dose and only 56 have been fully vaccinated. Unfortunately, vaccine hesitancy and individuals who proudly claim they are anti-vax are not a new phenomenon. But why? With so much availability, do people resist vaccines so aggressively? What's the psychology behind this hesitancy? Is there anything we can do to change the minds of people who refuse to follow medical advice and get vaccinated? I'm Charles Blue with the Association for Psychological Science, and you're listening to Under the Cortex. To help us unravel that vexing question, I have with me author and psychologist, Dr. Stuart Vise. Welcome to Under the Cortex. Glad to be here. Before we delve too deeply into the topic of the COVID vaccine, Can you give us a little more context into the whole history of vaccine hesitancy?
1: Sure. Uh, I have not gone deeply into the history of it, but I have written about it in the past. And I I think there's always been some hesitancy to medical interventions uh, in the past. But the most recent and perhaps the most uh, foundational period of hesitancy has been about childhood vaccines with the unfounded fear that they cause autism. And of course the history of that is that there was a study done some years ago in England that appeared to show a connection between childhood vaccines and, and autism. I think there were only 12 participants in the study and it, and it was later uh, determined to have been fraudulent and was retracted by the Lancet where it was published. And in fact, the author lost his medical license. But nonetheless, it took off as a theory that that childhood vaccines caused autism. And that has not completely gone away, despite the fact that there have been many studies since that have shown no connection whatsoever. So, you know, there is some politics involved in both that period and this one. That period tended to be more of a liberal based hesitancy. You know, the reason being that there's always some feared large entity. In these uh, conspiracy theories. And in this case, it was big pharma uh, was thought to be the cause of this problem. And so it tended to be liberal people. You, you found, for example, the outbreaks of, uh, of measles that have resulted from some of these uh, reluctant people to not getting their children vaccinated and so forth, tend to be in upper middle class neighborhoods In California, it's quite a popular movement and so forth. So, but this current wave is a bit different. The two come together to a degree, but they are different in their politics.
0: It does seem in both cases that once the the cat is out of the bag, there's really no way of pulling it back, even with proper evidence. It's almost like once it's there, it's there. Right,
1: right. And and you know for many parents, if, if they do have children who are autistic or develop some form of autism, you know the coincidence of childhood vaccines with that diagnosis is likely to foster that sort of belief, the fact that the vaccines are taken at an early age.
0: So you've published a recent article in Skeptical Inquiry. You, you took a rather creative approach to looking at this topic, particularly of, of COVID. You created this hypothetical anonymous uncle whom you claim will never ever get the vaccine. To help us set the stage, why did you take that really unique approach?
1: Well, a couple of reasons. One is that you know, like many of us, I've now now that the vaccines have been widely available for a long time, and you know, you can you can you you trip over the vaccine now when you're out in the world. Uh, it's so common and, and so easily available you know i've had many conversations with friends as i'm sure many of the listeners have too that sort of were like why aren't these people getting vaccinated why why can't they and it's also true that many people do know someone right even you know my cohort my direct cohort we're all vaccinated but we all have either a relative or someone that we run into that we know is not vaccinated and by now there must be a reason for that so the other part of the reason why i chose this your uncle phenomenon was that I think that part of understanding it, you sort of have to put yourself in the position of that person. And so by creating an anonymous character, I was hoping that that would would get people to sort of imagine the person's mindset a little bit better than than another approach would.
0: So it kind of puts a face on the whole thing as I've been told previously, it's easy to demonize the faceless. But in this case, we're trying to put a face on this person who's refusing to get vaccinated. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about these traits you identified when you're talking about, okay, either this uncle of ours is never going to get vaccinated. You, you try and explain some of the reasons why. And the first topic you mention is the likelihood that your uncle being a Donald Trump supporter... And that having an anti-vax mindset correlation, it's not a political issue, but what is it that kind of has those two connected in this case?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, I I based that statement on data, you know, that there was an NBC uh, poll that was done in August that, that really sort of struck me because they looked, they specifically looked at various demographic variables and whether those groups were vaccinated or not. Uh, And they did gender, they did education, they did race. They did a number of variables, but they also looked at political party. And of course, there's a huge difference between people who voted for Biden and people who voted for Trump in terms of vaccination. The vaccination rate for Trump voters in 2020 is something like 50 percent. But even more so, which was clever about this particular poll is they took the Republican Party And they asked people whether they were either more supporters of Trump than the party or were they more supporters of the party than Trump. And even there, the absolute lowest level of vaccination below 50 percent was among the people who said they were supporters of Trump more than the party. So there's something about Trump that this anti-vax thing has adhered to, despite the fact that as I point out in the article, he was one of the very first Americans to get vaccinated. He didn't announce it at the time, and he did it secretly. But uh, he seems to be a vector in this anti-vax uh,
0: notion. Even more curiously, there was some coverage of a recent rally for Trump, and he mentioned at the time that you know the vaccine is good. You should get it. I got it, and the audience booed him for that statement. So even with that completely counterintuitive bounce th- these factors still hold true.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's it, that I found that very interesting. Uh, first of all, I'm I'm quite certain he will never say that again because he you know, he does not like to get booed from what I can tell. But if you think about it from your uncle's point of view, your your hypothetical uncle's point of view, the vaccines have been available for a long time. So these people have been talking to their friends, just as we talk to ours, and explaining why they weren't going to get it. And they've been doing so for a very long period of time. And so now Trump comes along in the middle of the summer and says, get vaccinated. It was far too late at that point. He was not going to be able to turn that around. He had created too much momentum in the other direction for people to change their minds.
0: So I sort of see it then as an element of personal identity to not be vaccinated is not a medical decision as such, but a, a way of identifying yourself, your philosophy, your group of friends, your cohorts, because they sort of believe the same thing. So I'm not sure if that plays into it. I, I think it does. That almost plays into your second point, And that was avoiding cognitive dissonance, unlike living with cognitive dissonance. And, and you mentioned something like people in religious groups who have we're in a doomsday scenario and the prophecy of the end of the world never happened, but then they still really support that group anyway. That's living with cognitive dissonance. This is not quite that. This is, you're able to avoid it altogether. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. The, the book you, you mentioned, is a very famous one with Leon Festinger and Stanley Schachter were, were authors of it. It is a book called the When Prophecy Fails. And it was a wonderful and interesting study that probably couldn't be done today, in which graduate students actually joined a cult, a doomsday cult, that had identified a specific date on which the world was supposed to end. And they were supposed to be rescued in some way because they were believers. And so knowing that this probably wasn't going to happen, the psychologists wanted to see how the members dealt with it, and they actually sent some graduate students into. To join the group. Uh, the ethics of that are, are something that we can discuss later. But but the interesting thing was that people were so committed to this that they, for example, gave away some of their possessions before the date. And then when the date came, you would think that they might say, okay, well, we were wrong and, and this this religion is wrong, but they were so committed to it that they in fact rationalized some reason why this was the case. And in some cases, they actually became stronger believers. And I think the the message there is that in a case where you have a belief that is so central to you, even when there's conflicting information, you're going to figure out a way to hold on to the belief and rationalize the, the conflicting information. If the belief were more modest, you might deal with the cognitive dissonance by changing your belief. Uh, But that's not the case here. And I don't think it's the case with the vaccine hesitant people. The belief is very solid by this point for them. But the difference there is that they don't have to deal with an end date. You know, they are under control of whether they're vaccinated or not. And so they can avoid cognitive dissonance by just remaining unvaccinated. They are behaving in a way that is true to their beliefs. And to do otherwise, if they were to get vaccinated voluntarily now, that would cause some angst for them uh, that would be unpleasant.
0: And of course, if people choose not to get vaccinated and happen not to become infected, that almost reinforces the whole concept of not doing it in the first place. I, there was no need. See, I'm, I'm perfectly fine.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And for many people, that will undoubtedly happen, that they, they'll manage to get through without being vaccinated and not get sick. Uh, unfortunately, with Delta it's not quite as safe as, as it was before.
0: So again, that takes me into the next point you raise and that people think it's no big deal. That that's another reason my uncle won't get vaccinated. He feels that I've had the cold, I've had the flu, people get sick. It's nothing different. Even though millions of people are dying worldwide, the impact is now surpassed that of, of the Spanish flu as far as deaths go. So it is a big deal, but it's still possible to say it isn't. How can that be? That seems, again, two really contradictory ideas.
1: Well, again, if I'm right that your uncle is a Trump supporter, Trump has said that from the very beginning, even when he was in the hospital getting the best possible medical care unavailable to anyone else. He tweeted, don't be afraid of COVID. You know, don't let it dominate your life and so forth. So from the beginning, there has been that drumbeat theme but also, as I mentioned in the article, one of the curiosities of our more sophisticated healthcare system is that the minute someone gets COVID or even tests positive, they disappear. They go home, they quarantine themselves. People who get really sick go to the hospital where, where we don't usually get to see what's going on there. So it's kind of invisible because we've learned how to deal with this, you know, and we wear masks and we quarantine the minute it uh, strikes there are very few physical uh, indications of it for your uncle the most obvious indications of the pandemic are those annoying masks and other mandates you know the restrictions that are causing such a big problem for him but the disease itself is almost invisible
0: brings us around to your final point and that was kind of the my body my choice mentality see things on social media, freedom over health. This is a interesting aspect of the COVID vaccine hesitancy. What did you try to explain about this feeling that freedom trumps health?
1: This, of course, it has been the human cry that lately. And it, I point out in the article that there actually has been some studies of the sort of value systems of people who were hesitant about vaccines prior, in the prior era, the childhood vaccine era. And uh, there, too, people who were high on sort of individual freedom, who valued individual freedom very highly, and also people who were anti-authority, uh, were most likely to be hesitant. Obviously, the Republican Party is much more likely to wave the flag of personal freedom. It is a familiar theme, in the, for example, in the gun debate, that, that I, ha- I have this personal freedom guaranteed by the Constitution. And, you know, they've sort of cleverly uh, tied it to freedom of choice with respect to abortion. You know, my body, my choice, as as you've suggested. The only difference, an important difference, I think, is that your freedom not to be vaccinated is not just about you. It will affect others. It is a public health problem. Certainly in the case of abortion, abortion is a very personal thing that affects just that person. But clearly, vaccination programs are done because they are for the public good, they are for public health. And so so this is a direct conflict between an individual freedom and the health of people in general. And clearly there are people who are willing to make that choice and whatever the consequences that will be. I point out in the article that the same attitude has applied to the gun debate because the freedom to own a gun and to carry a gun around with you has cost. It it has created a great public health problem. There is very convincing data that merely bringing a a firearm into your home increases the likelihood of a homicide in that home. So people are clearly exercising their freedoms at the expense of public health. And that's clearly an important part of this, this current COVID situation.
0: Well, this all sounds awful, but hopefully there's some good news. Is there anything we can at least take home so we can sleep a little bit better tonight?
1: Well, of course, I tried to end with a slightly positive message at the end of the article after, you know, sort of drumming a depressing drumbeat. But I think that the clear, positive hope for us is mandates. And there is evidence that mandates do work. Uh, You know, there will definitely be resistance and there'll be protests and there'll be legal challenges. And we're we're beginning to see that now. But, you know, the beauty of the mandate in this analysis that i provided is that the mandate does provide an external force that the individual responds to. So it is a hedge against cognitive dissonance. You know, you can say, well, I didn't really want to get vaccinated, but I had to for work. And that is definitely going to be create less cognitive dissonance for the individual than if they had to voluntarily make the choice. So so the mandates do tend to work. I think we're beginning to see some positive effects of them already uh, in the U.S. And the big question is, how far will they take us? They're undoubtedly going to improve the situation. But how far? I mean, any improvement is good, but it it would be nice to get up, you know, uh, much higher 80 or 90% vaccination would be great.
0: So you have actually ammunition that you can grouse about the government, you can complain that you were compelled to do this, but in the end maybe it is a an opening to allow people who maybe would like to but can't bring themselves to to take that extra step. Exactly. I have one more question and this is a topic that you didn't bring up in your article but I'm always amazed by there's nothing mentioned here about the negative health impact of being vaccinated. And legitimately, there are so few, it's a remarkably safe thing to do. It's it's safer than, say, taking an aspirin for most people. But that doesn't seem to be the major reason. Oh, sure, you you read about claims of strange particles and hidden agendas and, and all the uh, conspiracy theories. But I really haven't heard people complain that the vaccine is going to cause me harm as a reason. And you didn't go into that. Was was there a reason why that particular topic was not really addressed?
1: Well, I think it has come up in the dialogue. You know, and there are these silly pictures of people trying to suggest that they were magnetized uh, by the vaccine.
0: Oh, yes. And,
1: and you get a lot of anecdotal stories where my friend's friend took the vaccine and got really sick and now is damaged in some way but I didn't address those because I'm hopeful that those are relatively minor objections. And by now, as you point out, I mean, millions of people have taken these drugs. I mean, many, many people have taken them with minimal lasting effects. And so they've been studied much more than is really required in order to have confidence about taking them. So so I'm hopeful that, that people are able to recognize that. I don't think that's as big a factor in the reluctance. Uh, I think that the other things that I mentioned are, but it probably does contribute to some people's reluctance uh, if they're willing to believe, you know, these stories that are are being told.
0: Well, that gives me some additional fuel to discuss uh, when I get together with the family over the holidays and maybe convince uh, the few holdouts that uh, it would be a, a good reason to go ahead and get that vaccine now. Uh, Fingers crossed. Yeah. I really would like to thank uh, Dr. Stuart Weiss for speaking with me today in Under the Cortex, talking about the whole concept of cognitive dissonance, anti-vax, and why your uncle will never get the vaccine. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure.
0: Under the Cortex is supported by Macmillan Learning Psychology. In the classroom, whether in person or on screen. Content matters, but not if students are disinterested or disengaged. At Macmillan Learning Psychology, our authors are committed educators who know firsthand what teachers are facing today. That experience guides not only the books they write, but the interactive learning and assessment tools they help create. No matter how you teach, we can help you captivate your students. Macmillan Learning Psychology, engaging every student, supporting every instructor, setting the new standard for teaching and learning.